I'm Amy Carson, and this is The Balance, Understanding Nonprofit Finance. In today's episode, Kate Scorza Ingram joins me to talk about fiscal management and the art sector. Welcome to this week's episode of The Balance. My guest today is Kate Scorza Ingram. Kate is the founder and principal of Create Today. Welcome, Kate. Hi, thanks, Amy. Thanks so much for having me here. Thanks. Kate, could you just give us a little bit of background about who you are and what you do? Sure. So I am a musician by training, and I started my life as an artist. Upon graduation, my college professor actually decided to say that he did not recommend me to work for the symphony. Instead, he recommended I work for the education department at the Kennedy Center, which is how I got started in arts administration. Um, And I'm actually forever grateful for him taking this vested interest in actually thinking about what I would be best suited to do. And that was the start of my career path. So I started at the Kennedy Center. I was there for about six years and decided that I had a lot of arts background, but not a lot of management. And so rather than continuing in the arts, I looked at different MBA programs, and which is where you and I met through our connection through Yale. So going to business school helped me to create a vocabulary around management that allowed me to kind of move more freely from arts manager to executive suite to boardroom and really be able to talk in a way that allowed what I was trying to communicate to be more effectively heard and to process what I saw around me in a way that was more thoughtful than just from the artist's perspective. Um, And so that's how I got into doing management consulting after business school. I spent 11 years at a management consulting firm that works specifically in arts and culture. And I started to find that the projects I I was working on were really, really big projects. And I was no longer able to interact with artists and arts administrators. I was constantly on construction sites, interacting with Turner Construction or developers. And I kind of felt like I could just go work for them if I wanted to be doing that type of work. And so I left AMS and started Create Today in 2017 and have been doing it for five years. And I just love being able to pick the projects I work on, pick the clients I get to work with, really be able to invest in the client work in a way that I wasn't able to at my previous firm because I hold the purse strings. So I get to decide how much time I spend with the client on the phone, who I bring into projects, who my partners are. And it's just been incredible to have that sort of depth and breadth of experience with my clients and the field, honestly. That's great. And and we, yes, we met through full disclosure, as I just mentioned to our producer, I was actually Kate's intern over <laughs> one summer in business school. And it was an excellent experience. And it was really one of my first forays into doing financial analyses for nonprofit organizations. And as Kate mentioned, this was an emphasis on arts organizations. And so Kate and I recently connected and it was I I know we were just discussing kind of the past two years and how crazy it's been. And I've seen, you know, our firm, Brand K Partners, we work with a series of organizations across multiple sectors and kind of the general feedback that I've been hearing and quite frankly that I've seen firsthand is just arts organizations over the course of the pandemic were just, it was hard uh, for a variety 
of different, somewhat obvious reasons, it's just been really, really hard. And so Kate, walk us through some of the challenges that your clients have seen recently. Yeah, and I I should preface this by saying that my clients are always in the arts and culture space, but they're not always arts and culture organizations. So one of my clients was a, a division of the federal government, right? One of my clients was a county. One of my clients was a city. I have museum clients and performing arts clients, and then I have granting agencies and artist supportive organizations. So it's been interesting to look at it from all of these different perspectives. And I think what's been really interesting is to look at the way that some organizations were able to pivot immediately and some organizations really struggled. And let's not forget that in the midst of of the pandemic, we also had a racial justice movement, which has also significantly impacted this sector as one that you know, felt that it was really embracing a racial justice movement, was really representative, suddenly had to take a really long look in the mirror and understand, you know, how were they serving artists of color? How were they serving audiences of color? What were the symbols, you know, what were the, the symbols within their institutions that were creating barriers for audiences to come in. And so we had this moment where there was just so much introspection about the business model in general. So it's been just incredible to watch how it's impacted individuals that I know at the highest level of their positions as CEOs, stepping back and saying, am I the right person to be leading this institution? I'm white, I'm male, I'm in my 60s. Is it time for me to bow out? You know, what else do I have to contribute to this field? Or is it really time for me to make space for some of these other voices which have been underrepresented? And I'm continuing to hold that seat of power and maintaining that um, and not allowing those voices to rise to this level to, you know, organizations where shutting their doors, and you and I talked about this very briefly, but shutting their doors, maintaining their donor base completely shutting down their expenses because they weren't having performances and suddenly finding themselves in a better financial situation than if they'd actually had their season, right? So it's just been so much change and it'll be fascinating to see, you know, as we come out of this and I think it's going to take us probably five to 10 years to really see all of the the impacts because some of the changes that are required are going to take time converting your board, really understanding the business model going forward. Are we going to stay hybrid? Do we stay with online programming? Do we continue some of the practices that have allowed people to return to our spaces? It's just, it's going to be incredible. I completely agree. And you actually, you used a word pivot. And I want to piggyback on that because we found that the organizations that have been the most successful and the best able to thrive and move forward have been able to quickly pivot. And I will just, once again, I'm a financial analyst. And so I'm a fierce champion of understanding your finances and really understanding the full picture of where the organization is and how that relates directly to numbers. And so we saw very quickly that the majority of our clients because they understand what, you know, the revenue flows coming in, the expenses, and because they were able to move things around and because they had just that full insight into the financial health and overall fiscal structure of their organizations, they were able to 
adjust. And I'm curious kind of how that translates to to your clients or to groups that you've worked with and, you know, maybe what separates some successful organizations from others. So for the first couple of months and the payroll protection money, the PPP money that came in, you know, I think that there were some organizations that maybe hadn't done as much planning and weren't as thoughtful and didn't really have as firm a grasp on their abilities to handle risk, their abilities to embrace growth, that they were okay. And it wasn't until sort of the end of 2020, the beginning of 2021, where we really started to see the sort of tragedy that was starting to play out in the sector. And we started to see layoffs and layoffs of people. Then we had the next surge last December where we had our facilities reopening. We had everything ready and set to go and we had to shut down again. And that was the hardest because we didn't plan appropriately for the ramp up to reopen. And then once we reopened, it was very, very challenging with closings, cancellations, refunds. I think that even with all of the planning that you could possibly have done, this has just been an extremely challenging time. And so I think about the organizations that have done well have had significant transparency with their donors, continued engagement with their donors, right? Donors that are still willing to give even without performances, even without the museums being open, even without activity taking place and really continuing to have transparency even with their staff and saying, this is our plan for reopening. Will you be there for us? How do we maintain a relationship with you? That's been, I think, the most challenging on top of, you know, all of the other challenges of COVID protocols and suddenly having to have people checking vaccination cards and temperature reading equipment and, you know, selling half of your theater space because you can't be at full capacity, right? All of those other challenges, these have been some of the things that I've seen. And I think that one of the hopefully great outcomes from this is that there may be more thoughtful preparation of who we are in the future. What does success look like to us? What does financial sustainability mean to us? What are the key performance indicators that we want to be looking at periodically as a board, as an organization to make sure that we're still on track and reaching those targeted goals that we have for the future? And how do we plan not necessarily for another COVID-19 pandemic, but how do we plan for a September 11th? How do we plan for another potential variant, right? That maybe isn't going to shut us down for two years, but we need to plan for, you know, cancellations and rescheduling. And so what I'm, I'm hoping comes out of this is maybe more confidence, maybe more longevity, maybe more board engagement that's feeling connected to it and invested in their success in a way that serves more than just your own personal reason for being on the board. And this isn't to say, obviously, board members serve for many different reasons, but how do we engage all board members at the level of thinking about the mission of the organization, thinking about the strategic initiatives? Who's our audience? How do we serve them? And building financial sustainability building a positive human resources culture, building DEIA, diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility into all of our planning, right? So that it's not something that's DEIA over here and financial sustainability over there, but that it's 
layered on top of everything that we're thinking about when we plan a season, when we plan, you know, our budgets, when we think about three to five years ahead. You know, I I, I see that as hopefully a positive outcome from this experience. I really like that point. And I can speak anecdotally that we are definitely on our end, we are definitely seeing an increased push by the board of directors for enhanced fiscal transparency. Now, and with a lot of even some of the new clients that we're working with, it's all about, hey, we really want to understand, we want to do forecasts, we want to do budgets, we want to do multi-year projections. And I'm definitely seeing it's much more than it ever has been, this increased push for, we want to build a cash reserve. So I'm definitely seeing a lot of what you are discussing And I think it's actually really exciting because I think it's a tremendous opportunity for the nonprofit sector as a whole to really focus on long-term planning and to put some numbers behind it. You know, some of the resistance in this sector, particularly in arts and culture, is that there's this constant tension between creativity, you know, breaking boundaries, discovering new ways of doing things and just pushing the envelope that sometimes seems in conflict with planning and key performance indicators. So when we start to think about all of the different ingredients that go into this, one of the things I think is really important is that we need to make sure that we frame it in a way where the financial structures, the future sustainability, the long-term planning accounts for that sort of creativity, that that nimbleness, that being able to expand and explore new ways of doing things. And this is something that I try to bring into all of my work, right? Because the majority of the clients I work with do not have CFOs who, you know, are CPAs and went to business school, right? They're organizations where this the CFO is someone who typically has an arts background who is right. now doing arts management because of their passion. Because honestly, if you're going to be a CFO, why would you work for half the salary in the arts and culture sector than the for-profit sector, unless you really believe in the mission and you're really committed to the work that you're doing? And so I find that one of the biggest challenges I have is also to say that you know the finances the budgeting process the strategic planning requires an element of creativity and thoughtfulness and narrative that's as relevant and as inclusive as the actual art form and so i try and say your budget is just a narrative in numbers and if you can think of it almost like visual art we're taking these numbers and we're creating the story the picture of where your organization wants to go in the future and my goal is to help you realize that in a way that you can do it again next year and the year after that and the year after that it would be helpful if you could walk us through some specific situations or obviously without naming names, but just some particular problems that you've helped to solve in your own business over the course of the past few years? You know, I've had clients where, so I always, I'm the one that builds the financial models and I love it. That's my favorite part of the work because it's where the rubber hits the road. We can have lots of visioning sessions and until we actually put numbers to it and talk about what resources are required, there's no chance it's going to ever be executed because then it becomes so pie in the sky And if we're measuring things like, you know, 
increase artistic voices. Like I don't even, I'm not sure how to do that, you know? And so when you do a financial model, you have to be more specific than that. And we had a client that was avant-garde theater company that was taking over a new space and they were trying to get money from their municipality as well as a very large donor. And, you know, they knew that they had to eat their spinach and do the financial model, but they weren't looking forward to it. And so we did all this preparation. We did a program logic model where we looked at what were the opportunities, what are all your outputs, inputs, you know, what is it that you need to, in order to do this? And my job was to kind of go away and create the financial model and then come back. And they canceled this meeting like a hundred times, Amy. They were just not at all interested in what I had created as my masterpiece of my financial model for them. And so we finally got them to sit down and, you know, they came in, the arms were crossed. They had their three cups of coffee. We had all these breaks that were scheduled so that they could do other things. And they were like, we're going to have to do maths today. And I was like, no, there's no maths. We're not doing maths. What we're doing is trying to understand where you want to go and pushing on you to make sure you have the resources. And, you know, we did this through each of their lines of business. We did it through each of their strategic initiatives. We examined each opportunity. We then were able to prioritize. And at the end of the day, we had a financial model. And the two, the artistic director and the manager director both looked at me. They were like, that was so much more fun than we thought it was going to be. Can we do this again next year when we are doing our budget? Can we do it again? Because they were like, we just get to kind of sit here and talk. And then you turn our vision into numbers and a plan that we can then have as our roadmap going forward for the next year. And they therefore then successfully were able to acquire the second space. They got the money from the city. They got the money from their major donor. And we were able to give them some techniques for thinking about concessions, for instance, right? Where they were constantly doing these like really convoluted calculations. I was like, okay, let's look backwards. How much have you generated? How many people did you bring in? That's your net, right? And then just build out your audience model and just do this plug with concessions. And, you know, if you want to add some high shelf liquor, do some estimations and then rebudget, you know? And they were like, so we can actually change it once it's in our budget. And I was like, yeah, it's not Moses's tablets, you know? Of course you can change it. So that to me is the most rewarding part of the work is when you can allow them to be creative, allow them to feel confident, allow them to understand that I'm not trying to dictate their art. I'm just trying to help them be able to continue to do this every year, you know, and be successful. I I think that's really valid. I'm a financial analyst. My most favorite thing to do is to sit and run financial models. I think it is empowering. I think it is just an extraordinary amount of fun. My business partners will laugh. I probably say this on every podcast that I record. I will run our own, <laughs> I will run our own financial model for brand K partners like twice a week because I <laughs> think it is so much fun. And I love what you said. If whenever I sit down with a client, I'm like, all right, we're gonna schedule time to do budgeting. Like I swear people bring shot glasses and like bottles of vodka and it's like, oh my gosh, this is going to be terrible. And so I do think that, so that this whole message really resonates with me. And I do think that first it's definitively a creative process, but finding a simple way to engage everybody, I think is actually the hardest thing to do. But if you can do it successfully, then yes, it turns into an extraordinarily rewarding thing. 
I used to send my clients before these meetings, like very detailed spreadsheets. Like this is what we're going to run through. Not because I wanted them to fill anything out, but more like this is, and now I'm like, no, absolutely not. I don't send them anything. I'm like, (laughs) you are going to sit. I I think you hit it right on the head. Like you are going to sit and talk and I am going to manage the file. And then when we're all done, I'll send you the file, but I'm going to manage it. I'm going to manage the inputs and I'm just going to kind of listen to you and ask probing questions. So I think the process that you follow I think that also determines whether or not it's going to be successful. And yeah, just kind of getting rid of the fear. That's that's the hardest part. So to me, it's looking at first what's going on, if we take it from that perspective first, and then how did that story translate into their finances? Then we can start to think about how do we translate the story we want to tell? Where have you been? Where are you now? Where are you going? And that those three together really make up the financial health of the organization, right? Balance sheet is important. Organizational operations are important. And then what's the future look like? I want to hear your creative story and translate that into your you know, future success and, and then be nimble and create the opportunities for you to make changes and pivot. Exactly. And the only way that you're going to actually be able to pivot in the nonprofit sector is if you get everybody on the same page. And the only way that you're going to get everybody on the same page is to tell a very clear and simple narrative. There has to be a cohesive story that everybody in the room can get on the same page with. Because as you know, sitting on a board of directors, you're going to have a hedge fund manager, a private equity fund manager, a a lawyer, a, a priest. I mean, it's going to be all varying backgrounds. And so I joke all the time that frequently before I will present anything, any financials to a board or to a whomever, I test it out on my 12-year-old son. And if he (laughs) looks at me and he's like, all right, I sort of get it, then I know I'm like there. But if he looks at me and is like, oh my gosh, mom, you sound ridiculous, like stop talking like that, then I know I have some work to do. So I think that's really hard. And honestly, I think that's a really big barrier. It is. And, you know, we, so when we do strategic planning, we always start from what is the vision for success? Where are we trying to go? And trying to, as you know, as you said, right, boil these down to little tiny chunks, right? So we're trying to be financially sustainable. We're trying to serve our art form. You know, we're trying to, you know, so that we have this sort of vision for success that we start out with as a straw man. And then through the process, we continue to refine it and we continue to look at it. So we then do, you know, all sorts of community engagement and market research to test that and say, are you actually serving your mission? And is this actually meaningful to your constituents? And then that then gets narrowed down, more put into specifics, that becomes the financial model. And that's what makes the business plan. But as you said, without that vision for success, the work is very, very hard. And I think that the the hardest part are all the sort of preconceived notions. So when we come in, right, we'll have a client say to us, oh, we know that the problem's in marketing. And I'm like, well, how do you know that? You know, we don't know that. Maybe the problem isn't in marketing. Maybe it's in programming or maybe it's, you know, messaging or maybe it's, I don't know, but I can't possibly say that this is going to be a marketing plan when we haven't even identified what the vision for success is. So yeah, I love that that's the work that you're doing with your clients because it shouldn't just be strategic planning, right? This is something that should happen every year in the budgeting process, every month when they're looking at their monthly reports, every week when they're looking at their weekends. And honestly, in organizations that are selling massive amounts of tickets, it should be a daily thing, right? We should be looking at 
what are our audiences responding to? What are our, what's our community responding to? And how do we make adjustments? Do we adjust our ticket price? Do we adjust our marketing channels? Do we adjust the way that we're talking about this program? Um, but it should be something that we're constantly kind of reorienting ourselves back to is what's that vision? What's our goal? That's great. Um, so just in our last few minutes, maybe just a final wrap-up question. What gives you hope moving forward? What are some, do you think, one or two just key lessons learned that you think are really going to fundamentally transform the sector moving forward? What makes you hopeful? So people still really care, right? People are still showing up. Um, we still have board members coming to meetings. We still have artists creating art. We still have community members out there making sure that the artists in their communities are being appropriately supported, appropriately represented, safe in their rehearsal spaces, safe in their creation spaces. And I think that that to me, you know, I worked on this project in Salt Lake County and the person across the table from me couldn't have been more different, right? He looked at me and he said, I believe in three things. I believe that the church feeds my spirituality. I believe that my outdoors and sports feed my physicality and the arts feed my humanity. And looking across the table at someone that otherwise I would have a lot less in common with, the fact that he believed that the arts fed his humanity and I believe that the arts feed my humanity was a uniting common thread between the two of us that allowed us to have an incredible conversation about taking his granddaughter to see ballet for the first time, taking his grandson to see the choir sing at the Mormon Tabernacle for the first time, watching them respond to, you know, going into a museum and seeing art on the wall, not just the art that they were making on a piece of paper. That was, that's the humanity, right? It's what ties us all together. And I think that this situation, this period of time has taught us a lot. And I'm just hoping that we can make sure that we take care of each other, our mental health, our abilities to, you know, continue to focus on the work, get support for everybody that needs it to get us through this, to then come out for a successful outcome on the other side of it. This has been great, Kate. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Sure, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for inviting me to be part of it. Thank you for listening to The Balance. I'm your host, Amy Carson. You can learn more about our company, Brand K Partners, and what we do at brandkpartners.com. Our production partner for this series is Citizen Racecar, and this episode was produced by David Hoffman, post-production by Alex Brower, and production managed by Gabriella Montekin. If you like the show, never miss an episode by subscribing on all your favorite podcast apps, and please leave a rating and a review. See you next time.